G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Well, our special guest today has written a practical playbook with easy steps to develop five lifelong habits around money. Joachim Frank's book is called The Barefoot Disciple, looking to create a roadmap for Christians. We'll be talking about simple living, habitual giving, missional spending and impact investing. And according to Joachim, there are plenty of pit stops, detours and the occasional tea break along the way to being on a path that leads to life. Joachim Frank is a former accountant turned entrepreneur and Christian writer who describes himself as a barefoot disciple. Joachim, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks. Good to be here. Joachim, let's just give some context to where we're at. We're going to be talking money again today. Yep. Um, you know, today the Reserve Bank is going to be meeting once again. We're all thinking our rents are rising, our mortgages are rising. Will the Reserve Bank give us another interest rate rise? There's concerns that people have with that. Cost of living pressures are under significant uh, rising. People are under pressure financially. Our fuel prices, they seem to go up every time we go to the fuel pump, and there's all sorts of reasons for that. Uh, But give us your insights here. There's a big lot of things you can look at and lots of negatives that you can identify. How do these affect the believer, do you think? I mean, are they as important to focus on as other different dimensions? Yeah, um, I know that the cost of living uh, increases are real for a lot of people and um, are really difficult. Um, But if we're able to zoom out a little bit from um, the market cycles of uh, increasing interest rates or um, uh, groceries, uh, we are still in the wealthiest generation uh, probably ever uh, to have lived. And so... um, I guess if we're able to, to, to zoom out, some a lot of those factors are out of our control. Uh, we can't necessarily do anything about whether or not the Reserve Bank is going to increase rates or leave them um, as they are. But we can do something about um, our own money habits um, if we choose to live simply, uh, build margin into our lives, um, these kind of things, to try and take us away from the the, the, the hard edges of some of these um, external economic forces that can uh, sometimes tip us over, it's cause a lot of stress um, in our minds. So zooming out, zooming out, getting a God's eye view on what's going on in the world, uh, yep. you're confident that he's the one who's in control, uh, confident that he can keep his eye on the sparrow and in the lilies of the field. And uh, in some sense here, if we're going to look to him, then that's going to alleviate a little bit of the fear and anxiety that comes along with what you're observing in the daily headlines. Mm. Yeah, or even uh, sometimes a developing worldview um, as well. Um, uh, listeners that have travelled overseas and seen... Um, the different material standards of living of the people over there, it can sometimes reset 
um, our baseline into what we think is wealthy um, and what we think is hardship um, and, um, yeah, p- perhaps give us a, a different perspective um, as well as we as we try and navigate some of these money decisions. So you can have a God's eye view of what's happening here in Australia, mm. but uh, zooming out just a little bit further, and you've got uh, nations that even surround us. And yes. Some of those that we'd describe as developing nations where yes. poverty is a real day-to-day yes. challenge, yes. and you've got to find yourself in a context here where you might recognise that even though things might not be going extremely well for you, uh, you're still sort of in the upper echelons of wealthy people on the face of the earth. Yes. Yeah, I was uh, speaking with a former missionary um, uh, worker who had come back to Australia and was living on a very humble wage here, and uh, he mentioned, you know, that was a challenge um, with increased costs of living. Um, but he said his friends in Kenya, they faced a different level. You know, he was thinking about whether or not he buys a coffee or makes it at home. Well, they were um, facing the real possibility of not having to skip meals uh, in next ne- that next week. They didn't know where their um, next meal was going to come from. Um, and that uh, really framed his perspective of um, while compared to his neighbours in the, the city that he was living in, he might have felt not wealthy, but compared to uh, the brothers and sisters that he knew in Kenya, um, he had a totally uh, different perspective. In a sense, what I can hear you reflecting here is that no matter where you are, you're on a faith walk. Uh, even though you might feel as though you're a little wealthier here, if you put yourself in the context of where people might be in the developing world, Mm. uh, we're still living by faith, uh, need to keep a focus on what God is doing, on what his mission is, because uh, a lot of people, even though they feel wealthy now, are still living pay packet to pay packet, Mm. Uh, whereas people on the perhaps in different parts of the world in a developing nation, uh, maybe looking meal to meal. Mm. Uh, but there's still a sense in which this is a walk of faith, isn't mm. it? Yeah, I think um, although we object- objectively are wealthy perhaps compared to other people, that's not our uh, emotional, that's not how we feel. Um, that's not our lived reality here. Um, and I think part of that is because we've been sucked into a consumeristic system um, that uh, does everything it possibly can um, to make us feel inadequate and lacking and not um, not full, um, not that we're not living our lives to our fills. We don't have enough. Um, and I think that uh, can really destroy our joy and take us, often take us away, it can suck the spiritual life out of us and can stop us um, living the lives that... Um, that we're called to and following that that uh, and, and staying on that journey that you mentioned, Neil. How do we make sense of the shiny new car and, you know, the house uh, with two cars on the driveway, maybe the bigger house than we've got right now and we're uncomfortable and un you know we're not uh, we're not that happy with um, or that holiday, which is you know the the, the luxury high end holiday. These sorts of things become a dream and an aspiration and mm. and thoughts that uh, wouldn't it be lovely to be able to do those things? Yeah, are those things wrong or are they something that the Christian in particular has a particular view about or the way that we develop our view when we're looking at uh, you know a scriptural foundation? How do you see those sorts of aspirations? Mm. 
Um, there's a entrepreneur from Canada uh, who has who says a bit of out there statement. He says a salary is something that they uh, give you to sell your dreams. Now I don't believe that that's true, but I do believe that consumerism um, is something that uh, they give us to give up on our calling, um, and it really. Uh, can take us away. It can really stop us. It can focus, get us focused on, um, hey, maybe I could get a slightly better consumer experience, um, you know, with this upgrade rather than, hey, I, um, perhaps I could uh, redirect my heart to um, my, my brother and sister and somewhere else um, that actually I believe will give um, more joy. So, um, yeah, I think that just firstly understanding that we're set up to fail uh, when it comes to money. There are powerful forces that are actively working against um, our joy because um, if we're discontent and anxious, um, we make better consumers as we turn to products and services um, for our joy rather than being content sometimes in small communities. Um, and so there are little um, mini money habits that anybody can do um, to uh, yeah, try and um, push back. Um, part of it, I've got uh, tons of tips in the book, um, but cutting out luxury in your life or even when you do it, sometimes the choice is, oh, I could uh, upgrade uh, and fly uh, with this uh sort of premium airline or I could uh, fly with this budget airline. And for a lot of people, it's just a choice of slightly more comfort or slightly less comfort. But if you were to able to say, my budget airline is going to plus um, a well in um, to my Christians, brothers and sisters in Uganda, suddenly that equation might look different in your heart and you actually might have feel more joy uh, feel more happiness uh, with that other option. Uh, so some of it is just building in mini money habits where you can tangibly see you make visible the joy that you're bringing to others uh, on a transaction by transaction basis. I do this sometimes at Nando's. I love to get um, a peri-peri chip sometimes with my classic wrap. Um, but now and then I go without and I transfer that to a separate God's Economy account and I'm not just saving money um, so I can build a bigger barn later. I know that, um, hey, I've chosen to downgrade for discipleship. And I want to invest that into um, somebody else's life. I want to pay it forward. Um, and so that, uh, despite missing out, I mean, that's a, um, that's a, 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 a bitter pill to swallow. You know, going without peri-peri chips, you know, how dare you um, suggest something like that? But um, in my own experience, that kind of, and it, when you get down to the transactional level, um, you can really change your emotional journey with money. Uh, even a little thing that I do as well, heard from a reader in Melbourne, helped me with this. Every time I tap, I automatic reader, automatically round that up and add a couple of bucks to a separate account. And so every time I tap, I'm also giving. And that's casting a vote in my own mind that I'm not a consumer, I'm a disciple. 
even though there's lots of votes that getting cast that I am a consumer, people is, that I'm getting from the world around me. And there's no one with a rod across your back to make that happen. This no. is a personal, uh, your own volition, where you're actually training yourself yep. not to be consumer-minded, yep. but to actually look out for ways that you can set aside some funds mm. for kingdom purpose. Mm. Now, this is interesting because uh, let's stay with the peri-peri fries mm. uh, <laughs> because, you know what, have you got a special account in your banking where you've got a, a God's account? I mean, this is God's... God's economy specifically, God's, Neil. <laughs> God, okay, this is God's economy account. Now, we're talking practical things yep. today. So yep. lots of people have these, you know, if it's associated with their mortgage, an yep. offset account or offset something like that. You might have sometimes with the bank and you've got like nine of these accounts. Yep. Uh, sometimes you don't use up all of those accounts, but you could easily label one of those yep. God's economy or kingdom account. And just a few dollars here and there begins to train you that that account is important. Yeah, um, I think uh, a lot of things that Jesus said in um, in Scripture about money was to do with the attachment of money. Um, and so we get attached to money when we don't separate it out, uh, when it's all sort of swimming around in the same bucket, the same account. Um, we get attached to it in our hearts. And then when it comes to giving, we're automatically um, feel like we're losing something. Um, uh, in my business, an example I've sort of used this um, is um, instead of giving a bonus, I've often uh, said to staff members, uh, I've given them an envelope with a $100 note in it um, and I've let them have it. I've said, hey, think about how you're going to spend that. Um, and then at the end of the training, I've said, hey, we've, we've got this goal. Um, we're going to take that envelope back, but that's yours uh, when you hit this goal. Um, and the fact is that our hearts, once we get something um, in our hands or if it's in a bank account and it's not separated, uh, we get attached to it emotionally and we make it hard for ourselves later to give that. So just separating that out at the source um, is really is it, is it something that I do, um, but also uh, casting votes for yourself, a constant reminder, hey, I'm a disciple, not a consumer, and every time I tap on a discretionary spending item um, can really be a really powerful way of um, changing your mindset towards money. <laughs> I'm a disciple, not a consumer, and that's got a biblical foundation to it, hasn't it? Uh, even in the introduction that I read, uh, talking about uh, two pathways, one's wide and leads to destruction, yes. another is a narrow pathway that leads to life. Yes. And sometimes we say, well, you know, oh, come on, uh, hands off my money. Uh, I'm happy to do a discipleship thing, but, you know, my money is something that it's mine. Yeah. But there's a certain sense here, isn't there, that if you're on that narrow pathway that leads to life, your money's on that pathway mm. with you. Yeah, I think the wide road with money is consumerism. The wide road is um is is living just following living according to according to somebody else's plan for your money. And that's likely a major corporation who does not have your best interests at heart. Is not going to uh, does not um is not guiding you into debt decisions that are going to be life-giving. Is it going to guide you into debt decisions that are going to be um, keep you on a treadmill 
for as long as it, uh, they possibly can. I don't think um, that's when Jesus uh, talked about threading the eye of the needle. Um, uh, he talks about this narrow path um, for us to tread, and while it may seem impossible um, for man and in our current culture, it may feel like that. Um, it's not. It may be hard, but it's not, and it's life-giving. Um, okay, let's talk about a theology of money. Now, that gets complicated if you think somehow or other you've got to have studied and earned a degree to talk about money. But for ordinary people who don't have a degree in theology, this is something that we can all aspire to, isn't it? How do we think on a God's eye level about money? Because I guess that's what having a theology of money would be about. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I also don't have uh, a degree in theology. So um, I'm pitched at the same level as many listeners out there. Um, Perhaps we don't... um, all necessarily think about the theology of money that we have, but we all have a money personality. We all, in practice, are living out um, a set of habits and practices um, that people could look at and they could uh, back-calculate some kind of um, theology for money. Um, And uh, something that uh, Jesus said that uh, I liked, uh, I like, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, and I've thought that that is descriptive um, of lots of things, where your treasure is. If you've got a, uh, a nice car, um, you, may look at, you may park in different places because you don't want to get a scratch, or you may be open or not open to lending that car out to certain people because of you may eat different things or not eat different things um, because you treasure um, that car. So it's descriptive, but it's also prescriptive um, in the way that I say to a lot of people, tell me where your treasure is, tell me where your money is um, in five or ten years' time, and I'll tell you where your heart will go. Uh, and so there's a drag-along effect um, uh with our money, where our attention, where our money goes, our attention flows, um, says Scott Pape. I think almost a, he almost paraphrased Jesus on that. So, um, but what, how do you live that out practically? Well, I've, um, I guess, thought through um, a, ten steps to do that, um, and they go, you know, a path of firstly simple living, stripping back, um, living on less. Um, freeing up margin in your life, um, and then secondly, to start giving habitually, to go from a consumer to a minimalist through simple living. That's a good start, but you're not necessarily a Christian. You're not necessarily a disciple. Um, Starting to give habitually, not sporadically or emotionally, um, uh, but by habit is a a, a very powerful way to start breaking the grip of greed on your heart. Um, And then... Um, you can kind of progress uh, once you've stripped back. You might think, well, um, should I buy the 7-Eleven coffee because it's cheap or should I uh, go to a cafe run by a couple at my church um, where that might be missional spending? You might be transferring your liquid influence, i.e. your money, to their organization where they then steward. They might create a multiplier effect with that. 
uh, which might be better than just um, buying cheap stuff and giving. Um, so that's a sort of a, you know, once you've downpacked the first two and then thinking about investing. Often Christians, uh, when we talk about money uh, in church, often it's only about giving, but there are these other really important quadrants. Um, and I dare say a number of listen, listeners may shudder to think of the corporations that they're capitalizing through their super account. Um, and we um, Christians in Australia, we simultaneously, uh, many churches lash lack capital, um, but then there are many Christians that are capitalizing other corporations. So there's a really interesting conversation to be had about investing, your investing life um, as well in these different quadrants. So I think it's um, not one thing. It's not just about giving. Um, and uh, I think it, it does come to stewardship um, is one of the, the, the major things, and that flows into a lot of things. Um, you know, simple living comes out of the fact that I'm not an owner. This doesn't belong to me. Um, I'm getting a, I think I'm in a former accountant. So I think in business terms, I think that, you know, thinking about God being my uh, shareholder um, and me being an employee in the venture that is my life and that being, you know, um, you know, so I've got to have a, a manager or an employee mentality towards my money. Um, and that means, you know, paying myself a fixed amount, even if I um, run a business, uh, setting a, a, you know, setting a, a spending benchmark um, that's different to my income. Um, so there's a bunch of things that flow out of um, that theology money. I, t- I like to say manager more than steward because steward, sometimes uh, we don't use a whole lot um, in our current language out there, but... Um, yeah, no, and uh, it does take a lot of uh, thinking to get your mind around biblical stewardship, but lots of us might understand manager uh, in a, a, bit, mm-hmm. a bit more of our cultural context. Hey, let me just come back to mm. uh, this thought of multiplying mm. what you actually use in mission mm. by supporting those people who perhaps are in business in mm. your local church. Mm. Uh, the thought that you might go and buy a coffee at someone in your uh, at coffee shop run by someone in your local church mm-hmm. because you might be confident that mm-hmm. they themselves have their own uh, stewardship, uh, yep. manager of their own finances, and they're honouring God, mm-hmm. uh, and then on spending in such a way that, as that as that honours God as well. So there's a certain sense in which those extra few dollars, uh, rather than buying the dollar coffee, spending the $5, $6 yes. on the coffee, that actually might be helping to increase the impact of the kingdom because you're actually being a blessing in the life of other believers. Yes. Yeah, I absolutely believe in that uh, multiplier effect. How I do this practically is often if I'm looking uh, for a supplier, maybe a trade, maybe need a plumber. Um, I like going on a Christian business directory run by my uh, local, um, the Christian radio station, my local um, in my city, and looking up there first Um and checking out, hey, is there somebody, is there a brother or sister uh, that I can support through this business? doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. Uh, doesn't mean you're not going to have hard conversations with them, potentially about quality or service. But um, having a, I, have a, I want to have a bias towards uh, building up my brothers and sisters through my money. Most people spend most of the money that they have in their lives, and you, and you can't uh, practically give away that much. Uh, a lot of people in their con- uh, context, but you can redirect 
some of your spending decisions um, to create a multiplier effect. Is this a good thing for churches uh, to have a bit of a local business directory? I mean, sometimes people like to exploit that and uh, and it becomes an issue. I'm aware of that in church life, but it is very good, isn't it? If you've got people who are in your local church, uh, if you can support their business, particularly if they have an ongoing uh, missional flow of the money that they're spending. I think it's awesome. I think, look, all mission is messy. Um, and so uh, when we do things, when we interact with someone, with, with people in our local uh, community at non-superficial levels, uh, when we borrow and lend to people in our community, yes, there's always risk of relationship breakdown. But I, but for me, I want to err on the side of taking those risks um, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to cut myself off from community um, because of the fear of you know I lend my ute to someone and you know it might come back with a little ding in it. I want to hold my things lightly. I also want to hold my my money lightly. So um, yeah, I've got a positive bias towards um, secondhand stuff, but. Um, but spending with my brothers and sisters. Okay, Yokel Frank is our guest. His book is called The Barefoot Disciple. We're about to break for news. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. How do you feel about being a barefoot disciple? How do you feel about these sorts of things and the way that it might work in a practical sense within your... Yokel, let's come back to one of the... Biggest foundation principles, I think, that you're looking to communicate uh, to listeners today, and that is who owns what we own? Uh, who owns the paycheck uh, or the pay amount that is uh, put into our account each week? Who owns the house that we're living yeah. in, whether we inherited it from our parents or whether we've uh, been astute enough to be able to get into the real estate market and do something entrepreneurial? Mm. Who owns all of this stuff? Give yeah. us your insights here into just how valuable it is to recognise the ownership level. Mm. Yeah, whose name is on the title deed or the bank account or the paycheck? Um, it's a great question. Um, it's pretty uncontroversial, I think, uh, in churches to hear God owns it all uh, as a kind of blanket statement. Um, and that's good, but I think, uh, it's rare to then follow that up with a set of practical steps to actually live that out in your spending, saving, giving, and investing, or, or even your interactions with the property market. Um, and so, yeah, God owns it all. That's a great place to start, um, and a lot of uh, Christians have started there. Uh, but the sort of practical application, well, that's sometimes, you know, the last five minutes of the sermon and there's a few kind of anecdotal things said. Uh, but, yeah, my content is focused on, um, you know, across those quadrants. Um, how do you live that out next time you go to the supermarket? Um, yeah, that's, I guess, the focus, yeah, of <laughs> what I've tried to write. So most of us might be, and if not continuously, uh, we'll often just drift back into yep. uh, what we might call the consumer camp, yep. uh, not necessarily the disciple camp. And this is not necessarily a, <clears throat> pardon me, this is not something that you're uh, you're just, uh, you know, either on one side or the other. So people will be drifting between the mm. two, wouldn't they? All of us, I think. All of us are drifting um, between the two. Yeah, yes. and... and uh, what kind of safeguard can we set 
uh, to find out when we've drifted. Uh, because if we don't set any kind of objective benchmark, it's unlikely that we'll even know, and it's unlikely, given our culture of not talking about money a whole lot, um, that anybody else will tell us. Um, so one of the things um, I talk about in my book is, uh, well, if God owns it all, how about we pay ourselves like an employee or a manager um, in God's enterprise in, my life, in our lives and um, and that can be uh, setting an objective benchmark for how much that we're going to live on. Um, and that kind of can cut across uh, a lot of different um, subject, subjective opinions about what we should or shouldn't do. It's obviously different for people in different life circumstances, but that's something that can, can really help us, an objective benchmark. And then secondly... Um, so I talk about for young people uh, who don't have dependents, setting uh, an objective benchmark of living on minimum wage. I call it live on min um, uh, as a really good way to try and have a consumer detox uh, if you've been living above uh, that for a period of time. Uh, and the second thing I talk about is setting a spiritual accountant. A lot of us do this alone. Uh, and a spiritual accountant is something that you can meet up with and show your transaction history and show how much you spend in different buckets um, that can be really helpful um, uh, how do we do a self-evaluation uh, sometimes we do this yep. uh, talking about different subjects and things but <clears throat> is there some way you can do a self-evaluation even as we're sitting here talking mm. uh, because everyone might have in mind uh, what their pay packet looks like mm. Uh, some are going to be healthier than others. Uh, others, uh, some are going to be, you know, right there on the, you know, I'm just struggling to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenging place to it be. Uh, someone else is going to be saying, well, uh, I've got myself on a pretty, you know, good level of mm-hmm. salary, uh, more than I need to live. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue of, and I guess if you broke that down and said greed versus generosity mm-hmm. or consumer versus disciple, uh, and if you're making a sort of a self-evaluation mm. in here, um, how do you see that if you're, if you're thinking about your pay packet? You were saying, you know, you can, you can limit your pay packet even though you might have a bigger capacity to do Correct. so. So how do you actually get a bit of an evaluation here as to what that ought to be? Yeah, um, well, I guess in my book I talk about an objective benchmark, one being minimum wage, um, so you can look at what minimum wage is in Australia, and you can compare yourself to that, how much you're spending. That's if you're, um, you know, uh, without dependents. And then you can look at median wage um, as well, and then you can look at average wage. So that's a three objective benchmarks that you can compare yourself to. Um, and I sort of su- suggest for people, think about, you know, if you're single without dependent, think about um, uh, living on minimum wage, but... Um, if you've got dependents, you might think about, and if you're in a family, you might think of uh, you know, two people on median wage. Um, uh, once we get above average, average age, we, kinda, we could um, be becoming, uh, through our money habits, more sophisticated consumers um, rather than more um, mature disciples. Um, and if our you know, if, if our money's flowing in that direction, um, we, it's very easy for our hearts to drift uh, into our things, uh, into our stuff and into our lifestyle rather than to uh, uh, the people and the, 
uh, the mission that God's called us in. Let's talk about some of these really significant dimensions that you're covering in your book, like uh, simple living. And I know that as listeners have been listening to you thinking about these things and talking through uh, simple living, you can capture some of that. Habitual giving, uh, the thoughts you might be giving a certain amount and in a regular way, and even, as we were saying, you know, using that to flow on uh, when you're spending money uh, sure with spending. people who are in your, uh, in your local church or mm. people who are Christian businesses. Mm. Uh, missional spending, um, let's talk about missional spending. How do, mm. What does that really mean? Mm. Missional spending is uh, really what, uh, what you just said um, in spending. When you spend with a Christian biz- business um, or with a person who's building up a local community uh, who you think is going to have a positive multiplier effect, um, your spending is not just a tran- is not transactional in the same way it might be perhaps when you interact with Coles or Woolworths. Um, and there's a relationship being built and there's intentionality of where you think that that money uh, may flow through to. Um, so spending missionally, yeah, is spending with people, um, organizations or businesses that you think could lead to a positive multiplier effect. And I guess Christian small business is a shortcut way, but other small businesses as well I like to um, support. Let's talk about impact investing mm. because yes. uh, when we use the word investing, all of yep. a sudden we start to talk about um, growth of the asset that we have. Yes. Uh, we're talking about how that is used in a longer-term sense. Mm. Uh, what do you mean by impact investing? Mm. Impact investing. So uh, one of the sort of toxic traits in our culture uh, when we come to in- investing is often think about investing as speculating um, and speculating is uh, investing in things that don't generate uh, wealth, don't produce goods and services for people. So you can maybe think about currency in that in that basket. If you have ten dollars in your wallet, uh, in ten years later it'll still be ten dollars and won't have gone and done anything, won't have produced anything for anyone. Um, and so uh, if you were uh, betting or speculating on a currency, sometimes it might go up or sometimes it goes down. Um, you're in. You're in a zero-sum investment uh, situation. So you're in the situation where your gain, it has to be somebody else's loss because that that thing is not generating uh, wealth or generating um, products or services for society. Um, so I guess the first step in impact investing is um, to go from speculator uh, perhaps to a, uh, investing in productive assets, uh, things that do... Uh, things for people, and then the second step is to think about: um, Hey, if you were put to put um, ten thousand uh, dollars on the ASX, the share market, ASX two hundred, you know, div- um, where would that money actually go? Um, and the reality is, if you were to follow that money, it would actually go to another investor. It wouldn't go to uh, companies or uh, the people that are going to uh, employ um, new staff and build. Um, new things wouldn't go there directly. So a more direct route is um, when we can invest in things that are actually going to create um, something. Um, and then impact investment is a so that's produ- sort of productive assets, um, and then new productive assets even more. Um, and then uh, the the impact investing is talking about hey, what if I could uh, the chosen mini series is a really good example of that of this they. 
um, didn't have the money to film The Chosen, um, and so they um, invited people to invest um, with a financial return. But the thing, the capital that people invest, the money that people would put in, not just the profits, they did get a profit from it, but not just the profits of that, but also that original money went into filming that series. So, um, in my opinion, uh, I love The Chosen, and, and uh, that, that was something positive. Now, you could equally put that money into something uh, that maybe creates addictive habit-forming um, things in people and a number of apps that might um, potentially do that. So impact investing is looking at, it's going from speculating to productive assets and then to say, hey, could we get a positive social, spiritual return even more um, uh, with, uh, alongside an investment? Yokel Frank is our guest, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's take a call. Alex is in Melbourne. Hi, Alex. Welcome along. Hello, uh, Neil and Yokel. Um, at the beginning, Yokel, you mentioned um, you had a system where you tap and you got your change going to a, another account, which yes. I assume can be a savings account for... Could be. You know, discipleship, whatever, yes. you know. I thought, oh, that's a good idea. How yeah. did you set that up? Yeah, actually, um, a reader in Melbourne put me onto this. Um, so you can do this with a couple of different uh, banks. Um, the one she recommended to me was UpBank. Um, and so, uh, but also if you're with ING, Bank of Queensland, I believe, have it. I don't have a full set of banks that do it. But I, I got on UpBank. Uh, and I and I signed up, and then uh, you can set up as many new accounts really as you want, separate savings account, and then you can you go in um, and you can set an a roundup. It's called the roundup feature, so you can swipe that on to tick that on, and then you can round up to the nearest dollar, and then you can choose how many extra dollars um, you want to add. So it could be one dollar, two dollars, or or however many. Um, but yeah, that psychology of every time that you tap, um, you know, using that for discretionary spending, um, casting a vote to your to your new money personality or your disciple money personality, um, I found is really psychologically significant. Alex, anything further to add there? Oh, oh yes, in the, <clears throat> his uh, name, uh, the barefoot... Uh, uh, the Barefoot Disciple. disciple? Yeah. Yep. I, I remember hearing the Barefoot Investor, and then you mentioned his name. I thought, oh, that's his name. Uh, Scott Pay. Scott Pay. Uh, yeah, Great radio, book, I think. Yeah. Help program for finances. I thought, oh, he might be a Christian because he was really good. I, I liked the way he approached everything. Is he a Christian? Uh, I don't know Scott personally. I've read the book. Uh, I, I found it helpful, and it actually inspired me to write this because I thought he just communicates in a simple, practical way um, for ordinary people, um, so kitchen table, personal finance. Um, So I don't know uh, Scott's um, faith, but, um, yeah, uh, I I think he he writes good content, um, but I I guess the the difference being um, he doesn't have a discipleship lens to money, um, and so, and so, so the book will teach you, you know, uh, won't teach you um, how to be a disciple with your money, which is my goal. Um, maybe other people like yourself, well, Alex Cole, as well. well. Yeah, thank you yeah. very much. Pleasure. Mm-hmm.
Alex, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316, 1-800-316-316. Uh, and interesting, when you're talking about practical things, uh, doing that roundup feature, if your bank does that. Uh, if your bank doesn't do that, you can make a you know a personal decision. Okay, and, and I guess this is easy to do if you're sitting there, say, with your spouse, uh, and you're saying, well, this is you know going to cost us... $25 having a coffee and a cake. Mm-hmm. Um, what if we put that $5 extra towards something else and at the end of the day you can actually make a transfer or at the end of a week or at the end of a month? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the sort of thing you can do whether you've got the automatic capacity to do that or not. Mm. Yeah, you could. Um, I've found that uh, my mind is cluttered and I've got lots of things to think about. So when I put this on autopilot, it really helped me. Um but absolutely, everybody's got uh, different ways of doing it. Some people uh, use cash instead. Um, but hopefully, I think more importantly, even in that transaction, you might think of ways that because you're going to give $2 away, um, and you might think of ways to, to, to spend $2 less um, to stay within your budget. And so when uh, I encourage, when people start on even, a, even that mini money habit, it's good to start I would encourage people, first seven days, don't change anything you do. Uh, keep going. And just just um, if you're going to factor that $2 in, just slightly downgrade. Go from the, the, you know, the, me- the, the, the medium to the small um, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and then set that aside. So, um, so you start with, a, with these small but significant changes. Yokel, pitching your book to a young audience, uh, this is powerful because anytime you've got these habit-forming ideas, mm. applying those young means that our whole life can be affected. If these become the habit of your financial life, mm. uh, you're pitching this to a younger audience. Uh, what sort of a response are you getting when you're speaking at uh, various conferences and churches, uh, what sort of response are you getting? Yeah, I've been I've been super encouraged. Uh, firstly, by the amount of interest uh, that people have in church to talk about money in a practical way, um, and there's been uh, it's you know, in certain places it has surprised me um, the, the the level of interest that um, that people have had, um, and so that's been yeah, there's been awesome, but. Um, I guess the uh, the most precious things are when uh, a reader will let me know that um, you know they've read the book and they've decided to you know sponsor a compassion child, maybe somebody who's never given before, um, uh, and they've you know they've they've made a decision that um, or they've decided to start you know uh, first step or they've started to change the way uh, they invest. Um, I haven't gone. I just just now in my response didn't really give a full uh, picture of um, what it would look like. There's a things, good thing, you know, wise things to do in the in the meantime. Um, but um, yeah, I was on a camp um, late last year, and a uh, young man sort of started flicking through the book, and um, and he, he you know he messaged me after. He said, "Yeah, I'm going to start sponsoring," and that's a child's life. But uh, people that start these habits, you know, can be you know on medium income. It could be uh, you know, a half a million dollar investment in the kingdom of God. If somebody first ten percent gives, um, you know, and starts that habit, um, and so um, yeah, there's um, 
that's a privilege really to uh, forming these habits is incredibly important uh, not only for the young but also for the middle years and also for the older ones Uh, interesting jesus asked if you're untrustworthy with worldly wealth who'll trust you with true riches of heaven Uh, there is a sense here if you're going to be a disciple there is actually a there is actually reward to discipleship uh, first of all, the true riches of heaven, uh, which you can interpret in all sorts of different ways, but God's entrusting us with those true riches. But if you can't be trustworthy with the money side of things, uh, then God is saying, uh, how is it easy to trust you with the true riches? Mm. There's something that is rewarding in being a good disciple mm. with money. Yeah, even uh, Jesus' words, you know, faithful in little, faithful in much, and uh, after parable of the talents you can see you know i see that with a different with like a habit language lens um you know i started a small habit um you know you know with my money that might that might be saving uh, that might be you know putting aside um you know a hundred dollars a month in investing uh even and you know and that over time when you stick to that strategy um you know, you have these disproportionate effects later on um, and it becomes much, but you have the habits to handle that. You know, the idea that, you know, at some point that you're going to change, um, you know, what you were doing, you're going to some, you, you came into money and then you're going to be generous. Um, I think, you know, it, it usually doesn't happen. We usually continue doing um, what we're in the habit of already doing. Um, and so, um, yeah, yeah, these little habits um, when you're young, but really at any age uh, uh, can, you know, change of environment, change of mindset. Uh, people can start with with other people in the community. I think um, probably without the community, it's really difficult, but um, together. So even when you are going through some tough times mm-hmm. and things are tight, yep. your habit-forming strategy yep. actually is best, I yep. guess, to start in yep. those tough times. Yep. And then as times get better and you might go through all sorts of cycles in your life, uh, going up and down financially, uh, but if you start those habits even in tough times, they'll stay with you even in good times. And uh, that money that you are then uh, sacrificially giving will flow missionally and God is able to use that in an enormous way uh, for the extension and for the growth and for the flourishing of his kingdom. And uh, we hope that in all of that, uh, we will also continue to flourish financially. And of course, that's not always a guarantee, but it's a principle, isn't it? Uh, That, you know, as we give, God is looking out for our own backs. Yeah, I think uh, you know the proverbs uh, speak a lot of, of these uh, in general wisdom um, happening. That um, you know when we uh, live below our means, um, you know, and when we live simply, um, when we when we give habitually, when we're not when we're not um, chasing the next thing in our minds, when we're not you know at the dinner table, we're eating mains, but we're already kind of. We're not content. We're thinking about dessert, you know, before it's come. Um, um, that those things can um, help or will, will do help in general, um, but sometimes they don't, um, and sometimes God calls us to um, do radical things with our money um, that are that is countercultural and uh, to which uh, 
any personal plan, financial planners would say, um, that doesn't make sense um, if there's not treasure in heaven. That doesn't make sense if um, all we have is here and now. Um, that doesn't make sense if um, all we're living for is this life. Um, and so there will be those deviations, I think, from the mean um, uh, for, you know, for people living on a disciple lifestyle that, are, that uh, most of the time, yes, I think the Bible will help us um, uh, financially. Sometimes um, we detour from that path for more, for, you know, when we're called to. Um, but there is a principle where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. It may be the difference between being the consumer and the disciple. Joachim Frank, he's been our guest over this past hour. There is a website where you can go and check out the Barefoot Disciple website. It's barefootdisciple.com. The book is called The Barefoot Disciple, Five Money Habits for Modern Disciples. You'll be able to get a hold of that. Uh, simply uh, Google The Barefoot Disciple and you'll find an online bookseller. Be able to get a hold of that book. Yokel, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.